Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. If you want to hear more than just this highlight from the program, become a Coast Insider. And you can listen to the full episode, plus recent shows covering the mysterious death of Kurt Cobain, the possibility that government may soon reveal the truth about UFOs, and the power of witchcraft as told by an actual practicing witch. Start listening now by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. J.B. Handley is the co-founder and chairperson of the Generation Rescue. Now that's a not-for-profit organization focusing on helping children recover from autism that was inspired by the journey of his son who was diagnosed with autism in 2004. He'll tell us about that. He's also the co-producer of the documentary film Autism Yesterday and the co-founder of the Age of Autism blog. Handley co-founded Swander Pace Capital, a market equity firm, private firm, with about $1.5 billion under management, where he served as managing director for a couple decades. His website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. His book, How to End the Autism Epidemic. JB, welcome to the program. Really great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. What a topic that I have wanted to talk about for so long, and we will get into many facets of this. But the statistics uh, that I read uh, right before you came on were based on 2007. Yeah, I was going to say I need to update your numbers for you in two ways. Um, First of all, in my book, How to End the Autism Epidemic, I go through the published science going back decades on the actual prevalence of autism in the late 1970s through very, very comprehensive studies, we have clear data that showed one in 10,000 children had autism. Um, the most recent numbers out of the CDC are one in 36. Oh, my God. That's it was a, one in 50 in 2007, so exactly, it's even it's worse. Even worse. It's, a, it's a 277-fold increase, which is the same as 27,700%, so nearly a 30,000% increase. And, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. Anybody my age or older knows that something has gone terribly wrong with this generation of children. We didn't know anybody with autism. We didn't have peanut tables. We didn't have EpiPens in the hallways of our schools. This is all new information. I didn't know what autism was until Rain Man came out, and that's true for most of my contemporaries. We're living in a very, very different climate, and we're not asking the obvious question, why are so many of our children so sick? 54% of American children have a chronic illness. It's insanity. And the reasons are staring us in the face, and yet we're continuing to have a debate. I just saw Rain Man again on cable uh, just uh, a couple days ago. Uh, Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman did a great job on that. And uh, I just watched it with my older son, who is neurotypical, who has a younger brother with autism. And it was a very intense and very emotional watch for the two of us. My older son is, is 18 now, and um, he, he actually really enjoyed it. And at the same time, it brought tears to both our eyes, because we live with a you know, a person who's a lot like the character that Dustin Hoffman portrayed in that movie. In that movie, they called him a savant uh, because yeah. he had this incredible ability to remember things and stuff. Do autistic children have that ability? You know, um, it's a wonderful question. Um, one of the biggest problems, in my opinion, with autism today is that we're whitewashing the severity of um, the disorder for most children. Um, Autism is a severe and devastating disability. Roughly 50% of children with autism don't even speak 
a third of children with autism um, have epilepsy, which means they have a seizure disorder. Most will never marry. Most will never have a job. Most are not savants. Most are severely impacted children who can barely take care of themselves. The devastation of the average child with an autism diagnosis is unknown to most people unless they've lived it for themselves. And yet the numbers support that the majority of children with autism are extremely disabled. Um, movie or TV shows like The Good Doctor do a huge disservice to the autism community. I, I liken it to a man with a cane representing paraplegics. Of course we celebrate anybody with autism who can achieve greatness or sure. have a unique ability, but that's not the case for the majority of, of children. It's a devastating neurological disability. And JB, before we get into your case study and what got you involved in this, kind of give us a definition of just what is autism. Right. So, so autism, one of the many confounding issues with autism is that it can't be diagnosed via a blood test or a genetic test. It's neither genetic nor is it necessarily metabolic. It's diagnosed through behaviors. And so those behaviors are communication-based, they're socialization-based, and then they're sort of behavior-based, meaning ab- abnormal behavior. So a child who presents with challenges with language, challenges with socialization, and challenges with unique behaviors would would get an autism diagnosis. So it's a it's a diagnostic criteria, which means that you can have people who present in many different ways who share the same label, which is part of what creates problems. You could have somebody with Asperger's, which is on the very far edge of the autism spectrum, where they can mm-hmm. actually speak and hold down a job and do those things, but they're a tiny percentage of the overall autism numbers. Most children you have have extreme deficits of communication, extreme deficits of how to socialize, and extremely unusual behaviors. And that's what, that's what calibrates how you get an autism diagnosis. Is it neurological? I mean, have they diagnosed that it, it occurs in the brain? Absolutely. Um, not only have they diagnosed that it occurs in the brain, but we now have very clear, unequivocal published science that shows that people with autism are suffering from brain inflammation. They are literally in a permanent state of neuroinflammation that is impairing their ability to think and process and do all the things that we consider normal because their brains are in an inflamed state. We're going to get into some of the causes of autism, and it's very controversial. Some people might not agree, uh, but a lot of people are beginning to change their minds and agreeing with this. A couple of years ago, JB, I had uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. on the program, who has written a little blurb on the back of your book. And uh, he, of course, uh, is uh, a proponent in people uh, not getting vaccines, basically. Well, and I would clarify, um, it's not a binary choice. And I think this is one of the many ways that the, the mainstream media, who's funded by the pharmaceutical industry, um, tries to turn, us, turn this into an us versus them. Um, I don't think Bobby Kennedy would tell you that he's, a, he's against all vaccines. Not all. I no. think what he would tell you is that he believes vaccines are causing autism. Right? Those are two very different things. Exactly. And you know, one, of the, one of the main arguments that, that I try to make in my book is we can screen today children who are at risk from autism before their first vaccine. And we're not doing so because... In order to do so, we'd have to admit that it causes it. We've sort of gotten ourselves into this pickle. There are children like my son who never should have been vaccinated, who should have been removed from the vaccination pool from day one because he hit so many of the red flags that I want parents to be aware of. And if you don't mind, I'll just give a really quick list here. Please, go ahead. Um, 
maternal history of autoimmunity is a giant red flag for a child reacting to vaccines. Um, a mutation of their MTHFR gene, which sounds esoteric, but is actually a very mainstream gene that 23andMe would test you for. If you have mutations of your MTHFR gene, your ability to detoxify is extremely limited. Um, if you have any kind of mitochondrial disorder, which is a relatively easy thing to discern through a blood test, you're at grave risk from regressing into autism after your vaccinations. And then finally, a baby presenting with any of a number of physical maladies, um, and these would include things like eczema, which the AAP used to use eczema as a reason not to vaccinate children, dark circles under the eyes, hmm. a bloated belly, or any kind of illness or a history of ear infection. Those would all be red flags for a, a, a pediatrician who was on their game to remove that child from the vaccination pool because of the extreme risks associated with it. You know, today, I, I go through it in my book, we have mainstream scientists from the Kennedy Krieger Institute at Johns Hopkins, literally the leader of their clinic and the leader of their lab, are in my book in depositions explaining that they have seen children regress into autism after their vaccine appointments if those children had low mitochondrial energy ahead of time. And while they are very pro-vaccine, these two, these two scientists from Kennedy Krieger, what they're saying is children need to be screened because we're losing a certain portion of kids to autism on profiles that we could understand before the first shot. This is a very grave and serious situation that we are literally letting vulnerable children fall over the edge into autism when we have the knowledge to prevent that from happening today. And you've devoted two-thirds of your book to talking about the vaccines and autism. So this is big, big news. Now, are, are we talking about the vaccines of the, the multi-vaccines that uh, we've heard so much about? Let, let me give you some context because this is so confusing even for the average American parent, okay? Let me take you back. Be, because, and let me just say this, JB, as parents, all of us want to do the right thing for our kids. We, we don't want them to come down with some affliction because we didn't vaccinate them. At the same time, we don't want them to have one because we did. This is what's so tough about this debate, and I agree completely. I think everybody involved with this debate who are on both sides want healthy children and care deeply about having healthy children. Um, I certainly do. And I've been on both sides. <laughs> I was wildly pro-vaccine. I, I grew up overseas. I thought vaccines were something you had to get. You know, it didn't even occur to me when my son was getting vaccinated that I had a choice or that there might be a risk. But let me, let me take you back because this is so important for parents to understand. In 1986, in the United States, there were exactly three licensed vaccines that existed. The MMR, the DTP, and the polio vaccine. The average vaccination rate in 1986 of American children for those three vaccines was under 60 percent, okay? In 1986, Congress passed a law to indemnify vaccine makers from liability. A vaccine court was set up, which is a one-way kangaroo court in Washington where you go if you have a vaccine injury. The court was up and running by 1989, and from that point forward, the government backed up any liability from vaccine injury, Okay then exactly what you would think would happen happened. There was an explosion in the number of vaccines made available for children. We went from a vaccine market in 1983 of $160 million to a vaccine market today of almost $60 billion. God. We now have 11 licensed vaccines, which are given 36 times by the time a child is five, in the United States if they follow the CDC schedule. Mm. And so the, the first thing that I want to say to you 
is when we say that a child is vaccinated, what I say is, well, in what decade or in what country or even in what state, because they're all different. And let me give you some examples. We're the most vaccinated country in the world. The United Kingdom, is one simple example, does not give the chickenpox vaccine. We do. We started to give it in 2000. Why don't they give it in the United Kingdom? Because on the, on the National Health Service website in the United Kingdom, they state that if you give chickenpox vaccine to children, you'll have an adult epidemic of shingles, which is exactly what we're now having in that's the United what, States. That's happening. That's in right. In most first world European countries, they don't give the hepatitis B vaccine unless the mother has hepatitis B. Well, guess what? We screen for hepatitis B with every pregnant mother, and yet in the United States, we give it anyway. The flu vaccine is rarely given in Europe, and yet in the United States, you can't pass a street corner without someone trying to stick one into your arm. And so parents really need to understand, before they start worrying about life and death, is the scale of growth of the entire vaccine system, the vaccination rates and everything else. And what I explain to parents is, look, every vaccine is a medical procedure. Every vaccine is a risk-benefit analysis. You've got to do it for every shot and then make a decision as a parent which of those vaccines really make sense and which don't. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.